Well, hey there, everybody. What is going on in your world today? Uh, well, I know for sure right now what's going on is you're listening to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. And as we start today, I just want to say thank you for that. Like, honestly, I was thinking about of all of the things that you could do, listen to, spend your time on, uh, you decide to take a little window out of your life to listen to this podcast. And that means a great deal to me. And I think it means a great deal to me in part because I know that oftentimes what this podcast is designed to do is to kind of push and prod and poke at our lives in such a way that from that, hopefully we see some of our blind spots. And then in light of that, we seek to be more like Jesus in the world that we live in. And and that's really maybe even what the topic is about today. And so this is episode 213. I joked last week that picking the number 13 in this episode just makes sense based on the superstitions of the number 13. But it's 213, and it's an episode that I am considering a little bit of like a recalibration or a reminder is probably a better way of putting it uh, as far as what this podcast is designed to do because uh, every single week that I sit down and you know get behind this microphone and go like, hey, what are we going to talk about? Uh, I know exactly what the driving force is behind, what the center of the gravity well of the podcast is all about. And I kind of shared this a little bit last week as kind of the commercial to this week's episode, but I want to get into this in a little bit more detail. And I'm not sure how long this podcast is going to go because it's going to go to a few different places. And I want you to understand in this what it is, is my clumsy effort to try to take this whole big, vast idea and crush it down into an accessible bite, right? So you go like, oh, okay, this is what he's doing as he does this podcast. And this is how the podcast is different than other things Matt sets out to do in life. And the way I kind of described this last week is that what I do on Sunday mornings is, hey, let's grab the Bible, crack it open. I'm going to teach you the Bible. From that, we figure out how to apply the Bible to our lives. And in that, it's more of a pastor, preacher type role, right? So in the Old Testament, if you had prophets, priests, and kings, I would say what I do on Sunday morning is a little bit more of the priestly role, week in, week out, reminding us what it is we're called to do, what it is we're called to understand, how it is we're called to live, just straight from the book without trying to figure out all of the nuances of life. That's kind of the mission there. The Everyday Missionary Podcast really feels more like it's this kind of niche of the prophet, where what I'm wanting to do here is to say, you know what, Uh, there are things in our lives that get in the way of us being everyday missionaries, and we need to look at those things very honestly, as objectively as possible, and in that, often what is true of the prophet is that they say things that make the general environment uncomfortable, especially if they're a prophet speaking to a group of people where that group of people are connected to God, but maybe aren't always displaying the things of God as they're supposed to. And so when you look at the Old Testament, for example, and you look at all of the prophets and the minor prophets, so people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and Amos and Obadiah and just all those lists of names, what you see so often is that they're prophets coming to God's people and saying to God's people, you're off track or you're off kilter in some way, or you're not doing what God has called you to do. You're overlooking the poor or the marginalized or the needy, or you're full of yourselves, or you don't understand the covenant, or you've lost the law or whatever else. And so they're saying to people who follow God, hey, Maybe we can follow better. And in that, they're saying things that are sometimes kind of barbed in the process, right? And that's what the everyday missionary is designed to do. So uh, unlike Sunday mornings, this is way more about trying to look at the everyday spaces of life and the everyday messiness or challenges, or even in there, some of the spaces that we as evangelical Christians, we fall into that undermine what Jesus would have his church do. That's what this podcast is all about, which is why it's being a missionary. That's why every week I close it out with us being everyday missionaries, because that is the fabric of the intentions of this podcast. Because what I believe is absolutely critical is that we as followers of Jesus represent Jesus well in our culture. And what I will oftentimes say in this space is that I think we can do better. Now, in that, I want to be clear. I'm not saying those things or doing those things or having the tone that I have because I'm 
angry at us or that I take great joy in scolding us. But rather, as I look around, I go, it it just feels like it's the fourth quarter. There's 30 seconds left. We're down by 10 points and we better pull this together fast or we lose, right? Like, I think that's the urgency I feel so often in the podcast. And I feel that urgency because I do try to interact with a lot of people. I try to keep my ear to the rail on a lot of things. And it seems that increasingly there is... There is criticism that is leveled against us as evangelical Christians, and I honestly hear that criticism, and I don't have a good comeback for it. Like, I can't be like, no, 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 you're just overblowing that, or you're overstating that, or that's not really true of us, or whatever else. I find more and more I'm just sort of apologetic, like, yeah, I know that seems to be true, and... I, I I want us to get better and I'm sorry we're not and I get your point and I fully understand and, and everything else. And, and that's why I feel the urgency in this podcast to sometimes say things or point to things or point out things that might rub us a little wrong or even a little raw. But my motive is trying to get us back to Jesus. And in getting us back to Jesus, it means that I have to sort of like pry through a lot of the stuff that's the callousness over the top of that to get to the center of the Jesus stuff. And in that, even to challenge or push past the idols that we as evangelical Christians protect that sometimes undermine what the kingdom's all about or what the gospel is all about or what it means to live distinctly like Jesus in the world in his upside down and backward sort of way. And so I, I thought with that, what I would do with the podcast this week is simply to, again, give a sense of here's where I'm coming from, here's what I really think, and here's what my objectives are in in doing the podcast and dealing with the things that we deal with, right? So this is sort of like the peel back the curtain, here's what makes Matt's brain tick as he goes into these things, and then from that, hopefully, you have a better sense of understanding. And whether you agree or disagree, like, that's probably less what I'm concerned about here. Like, I think some people will agree and some people will disagree, and I totally understand that. My heart is just simply to say, like, hey, I want to clarify as best as I can. And I'm doing that in part because I think uh, there has been a number of topics over the last year where I think people at times have scratched their head or kind of bunched up their fist and been frustrated or whatever else. And and there can be assumptions as to where I'm coming from or what does Matt really mean behind that statement? And that's where I'm hoping to kind of roll back a little bit and, and bring some clarity and everything else. And then from that, you'll have a better sense of what it is that's the real objective behind this podcast. Now, in saying that, I want to Start with something that I'm going to admit I know less than half of everything. I love that statement. I'm going to really stand behind that statement right here. But I'm going to say something that for a while now, I've felt compelled like this is the totality of the problem with my conservative evangelical environment, to which, by the way, I'm a member, I'm a leader, I'm a lover of that. So I am not, you know, like uh, some kind of hidden, closeted, uh, you know, like uh, antagonist to that. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing because I actually care about it and love it and believe in it. And in that space, I am deeply concerned for it. And I'm concerned for it based on what I see out of the book of Revelation chapter two and chapter three, which by the way, those two chapters have nothing to do with end times, which is fantastic, right? So I don't even have to get into the end time spaces today. But what you see is that it's the red letters of Jesus. So if you have a red letter Bible, those are red letters there in that final book of the Bible, which is pretty cool because we normally think the red letters are just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You actually find a little bit of red letters in the book of Acts and you find red letters in the book of Revelation, which I think is just super fun, right? But it's in that space that Jesus is literally writing seven letters, seven emails to seven churches. And he's doing this through his good friend, John, who was with him through thick and thin, right? That that John. And Jesus is speaking to churches and he's warning five of those seven churches that he is about to abandon them, right? That's the terminology that he talks about removing a lampstand. What he's saying there is not so much like I'm going to abandon you like I don't love you or I'm going to abandon you like uh, you're not saved. That's not, I think, so much what he's getting at. But what he's saying is I'm going to leave you to your own human Christianity. I'm going to leave you to your own religion based in your humanness and I'm going to remove my blessing. 
I'm going to let you go down this road and spin out your way, and I'm going to let you go ahead and take the helm because you think you're smarter than I am, and we're going to see where that leads you. I think that's the essence of the idea of Jesus removing his lampstand from those churches. And one of the churches that he warns is the very first one in chapter two. It's the church of Ephesus, right? Which has this whole crazy startup and Paul's there for a long time. And he spends a lot of energy to establish that church. And eventually even Timothy is a part of that church. And so when you look at the New Testament, you see the book of Acts deals with Ephesus. The book of Ephesians deals with Ephesus. We see first and second Timothy deals with Ephesus. And we even see the book of Revelation deals with Ephesus. So if there's any church that gets a ton of literature in the New Testament kind of pertaining to it, it's that environment. And it's in that environment that Jesus says, listen, you guys have good doctrine and you have right behavior, but you've lost your first love and I'm getting ready to leave you and let you do this on your own. Right. And, and that should like cause all the lights on our dashboard to like light up. Like, wow, that seems super problematic because let me get this straight. You can have good deeds and good doctrine. And Jesus says he's going to ditch you anyway. Well, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. And that, I think that story. And then if I couple that to the last letter in those two chapters, which is the church of Laodicea, where that church thinks it's rich and powerful and has everything figured out. And yet Jesus says, you're miserable, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Like that church thought they had it figured out too. And he says, man, I'm getting ready to go ahead and ditch you as well. Not I'm ditching your salvation, but rather I'm ditching my blessing on you, letting you run it in your humanness, which will run it into the ground. And I think Jesus does that with both of those churches, or at least he's warning of those things. Because Jesus ultimately knows the churches that they're they're not doing it his way or if movements aren't doing it his way, they taint his reputation. And so Jesus extracts himself from those environments so that his reputation cannot be tainted over long periods of time. I say all of that because I honestly and authentically believe that the conservative evangelical church in our culture If Jesus was writing a letter, he would say, I'm getting ready to remove my lampstand from you because you've lost your first love and because you think you have it figured out, but you don't have it figured out. You think you represent me well, but you don't actually represent me well. You're more concerned with your cultural moorings and heritage than you are in living out the kingdom values. That is honestly, as you're listening to this podcast, this is honestly what motivates me. What motivates me is that I look at the gospels, I look at the message of Jesus, I see the challenges of the kingdom, I see the essence of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, the fruit of the Spirit, the definition of love. You see, hear this stuff all the time in the podcast. I see those things and then I look at conservative evangelical Christianity and it should be the space that is the best at that, right? Because we've been pushing Bible studies for years. We've been talking about the importance of scripture, the importance of church, the importance of commitment, the importance of prayer. If anybody should just be nailing this Jesus thing, if anybody should look just like Jesus, it should be the conservative evangelical church. And yet when I look around, I would say there are pockets and places and people where I absolutely see that. And then there's pockets and places and people where I don't see that. And sometimes the places where I don't see that the most are flowing from people that seem to talk the most about doctrine and scripture and truth. And you would think if we have such a handle on the truth and such a handle on the gospel of grace, that then we would be the most gracious, the most loving, the most humble, the most caring, the most sacrificial, the most fearless, the most faithful, the most kingdom-minded, the most heaven-oriented, kind of the most, hey, this world, the only thing that matters here is we get Jesus to this world, not making this world conformed to my comfort, my security, my protection, my vision for this world. Like We should blow all of that off and be like, man, here's what matters, right? Making sure the world sees Jesus clearly, truly, humbly, lovingly, compassionately, and with us displaying this spirit of, hey, man, we're not going to grumble. We're not going to complain. We're not going to doubt. We're not going to fear. We're not going to get frustrated. We're not going to get mad. We're not going to demand our way. We're not going to seek our rights. We're not going to seek kind of our privilege in this world. No, I am here for the good of others in the name of Christ, because Christ has saved me for that purpose. I am looking at others and wanting to see Christ in them, because when I do it to the least of these, I've done it to him. That was a rant. But hopefully it was a positive rant. 
And it's giving you a sense of my heart and my spirit in the things that we deal with in this podcast, right? So, so that's the framework. And so I feel an urgency all the time to confront the places where I think that undermines those objectives, where I think we start to get more fixated on uh, our, our politics or our prosperity or our freedoms or our ease of life or wanting our way of life, even if it costs somebody else their way of life. And I think all of that is just super contrary to Jesus. That's what I get concerned about. And so from that, I'm constantly trying to speak into those spaces to get us to think not in terms of how we try to legislate Christianity or legislate morality or legislate a way of living in our culture, but rather I'm constantly trying to push us to say, hey, how does Jesus inform this topic? And how does the message of Jesus play out in a topic like this? And how do the ultimate dispositions of Jesus play out in any given topic, right? When you start to think about Jesus as calling himself gentle and lowly, how are we be gentle and lowly then as Jesus was in all of the debates of our world, all of the friction, frustrations, the politics, like how can we be most like Jesus? And I say all of that because so often when I hear us as evangelical Christians speaking into those things in our culture, I sometimes struggle to hear Jesus. I hear patriotism. I hear nationalism. I hear legislation. I hear um, bias or entitlement or whatever. But they, I so often go like, where's Jesus in this? Especially so often for us as conservative evangelical Christians, we're in a space that's opposite of what I'm going to call maybe Democrat or liberal uh, or disbelieving in some context or maybe believing, but in a super liberal theological way or whatever else. Like, so we're in this space and they're in that space. And I'm always thinking like, how does our tone try to reach out to that space versus how does our tone vilify that space? undermine care for that space, seek to show empathy or a, a, a sense of affection to that space. Like, how are we cutting off our gospel nose despite kind of our earthly frustrations, you know? And, and I don't even know if that's a real metaphor, but I'm just making stuff up as we go, right? So like, that's the stuff that I feel an urgency about. So I just want to be super clear what motivates me in the space I'm in is not politics what motivates me is not patriotism or the absence thereof. What motivates me above all else is saying, you know what? Everything in this world will pass, right? Everything will pass. And I think sometimes as evangelical Christians of a conservative swath, we, we lose sight of that. Like we, we kind of look at where Jesus says the word of God endures forever. And I think there's a tendency for us to go, well, but also too, uh, like, I don't know, the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or our American heritage, like those things will endure forever. And, and I go, no, they won't. Now, I, I want to be clear here because I, I think sometimes when I say those things, what people hear is like, oh, so Matt, Matt isn't patriotic. Matt doesn't like our country. Matt doesn't support the Bill of Rights. Matt is not a fan of the Constitution. Contrary to those opinions, no. I literally fly a flag on my house 365 days a year. I took the time to put in spotlights to light the flag at night. I love our country. I love the Constitution. I love the Bill of Rights. But you know what I love more? The kingdom. You know what I love more? Jesus. You know what I love more? The Sermon on the Mount. You know what, you know what endures forever? A new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where all the nations gather together and all the nations stand in an equality in Christ. I love that far more. And if I sense those other things are actually prohibiting our mission, undermining the kingdom, kind of squelching the gospel, then my job in a prophetic stance is to actually say, hey, we need to relearn. We need to let go. We need to do things differently. We need to confront ourselves and we need to recalibrate our priorities. Like that's the thing I'm most committed to. Now, having said that, I, I want to bring a little bit more specificity then to why I do what I do, why I say what I say. And frankly, why oftentimes I think people go like, Matt's actually a political liberal, right? Just parading around in the evangelical camp. Well, let me help you. 
First of all, I'll level with you. Uh, I am a registered Republican. That's what I am. And you know what? Sometimes as I go into elections, I, I look at different candidates. I make different decisions. But but let me give you a sense of the, the grid in which I utilize to then cast all of my votes, right? Um, I look at the ballot. I look at the people. I look at the issues. And the principle that I use every time is very simple. I do not vote to maintain my way of life. I do not vote to maintain my way of life at all. It's just not the grid I use. The grid I use as I look at my life and I see, you know what? Um, and I don't mean this in any disparaging way. I look at this and I say, you know what? I'm a white male that's had a pretty comfortable life. I have a decent standard of living. I have a lot of privilege, right? I know some people get concerned by the use of the word privilege and they feel like it's an attacking word or whatever else. I, I, I just, I'm honestly looking saying, when I look around at my culture, I have a tremendous level of privilege. And as a Christian with that privilege, then I think I have a responsibility. And the responsibility I have, I believe, looking at the Gospels, looking at the red letters of Jesus, is I'm to use my privilege to help others who don't have the same level of privilege. I think about this even in the Old Testament, where you see so often that God says the wise person uses their privilege to help those who don't have it. They enrich their community by doing things that uplift their community versus they try to ensure their own well-being through their privilege or power or opportunity. And so for me, every time we go into elections, I look at the same thing and I go, I've got a select amount of votes. And from that, I don't look at that on how I can ensure that I have my taxes lowered, or I ensure that I have my security provided for, or that I have my life and my way of life more um, kind of uplifted. I, I, I just don't use that criteria. I feel bound by the message of Jesus to look and say, I need to look at those who maybe have less, who are more hurting, who have more need than I do, and I vote to that end. So it's not that I believe the Christian shouldn't be political. What I'm saying is I believe the message of Jesus says we use our vote, our politics for the betterment of others, even if it is at the cost of myself, right? So while I'm a registered Republican, the way I vote is that criteria. That's the criteria I use. And so that's one thing I want you to understand because I think sometimes people kind of wonder like where I'm coming from or whatever else. That's the criteria I use. So that's one thing when we talk about like political issues, I'm constantly looking from the perspective of I'm not trying to safeguard my way of life. I'm always wanting to look at how can we elevate those who have less, who are hurting, who are broken, who are forgotten, who are undermined in some way because, because that's what I see all throughout the Bible. 3,000 times God speaks about justice toward the poor. And so I go, that's a mandate in how I try to figure out things. And so again, just in the realm of clarity, giving clarity to all of you what makes Matt tick on this, just kind of an open-ended thing, right? Or at least I'm kind of getting behind the curtain saying, this is how I vote. Because of that, man, sometimes I'll vote for an independent. Sometimes I'll vote for a Republican. Sometimes I'll vote for a Democrat. Sometimes they don't vote at all, right? Like all of that is going to be true. And so I, I, I don't have party loyalties, because when I look at the parties, here's what I see in the parties. Both the Republicans and the Democrats, they get some Jesus stuff right, and they get some Jesus stuff wrong. And I'm not going to truly be loyal to either one of those entities, because neither one of those entities are genuinely loyal to the mission of the kingdom, because the kingdom's upside down and backwards. Like political parties, they're postured to fight where Jesus is postured to lay himself down. They're postured to try to control the environment, where Jesus is postured to serve the environment. They think that they can create a greater utopia on earth, and Jesus says, no, they can't. Only I can do that with the new heaven and new earth. And so this is the framework that drives everything that I try to think about, and I do that imperfectly. I am not claiming I have it all figured out, but but I'm looking at that and saying, I need to get better at that vision that he has more than a vision that I have. And in that, I don't want to fall victim to thinking this is going to more safeguard what I care about and this is going to undermine what I care about because in doing that, I forget that all of that is just earthly stuff and that's different than kingdom stuff. 
So what you're not going to hear in me so much is a passionate plea to a political ideology, mainly because I believe pure political ideologies are idolatry. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be a member of party A or party B, but really what should drive us in those things is more than anything else, how do I see Jesus interacting with those things? And even more deeply, where do those things depart from Jesus so I can be aware of that and I don't just have this blind loyalty to side A or side B without measuring that out against Christ? More importantly, that in that I don't become more passionate about side A or side B or passionate for side A against side B, you pick your A and B here, that I'll become more passionate in those things than I am passionate about Christ. And chiefly in that, what Jesus is passionate about, what Jesus cares about is that I would love those on my ideological other side, on my political other side, on my social other side, those people that even might want my way of life undermined. I look at them and say, but I'm still called to love you. And if you persecute me, I'm still called to serve you, care about you, pray for you and bless you as you do that. Here's why then I do what I do in the everyday podcast, everyday missionary podcast. I get concerned that the tone I hear out of my conservative evangelical camp is responsive to what they see in the liberal world around them. And in that, there's a vilification of the very people we're called to love. And that will always deeply concern me. Because if there's any marching orders that Jesus gave that are painfully clear, and they are painfully Claire, it's this, it's, it's like when you're persecuted, do it well. When you're mistreated, do it well. When they are against you, love them well, pray for them well, do good to them well, right? Your battle is not against human beings and their political ideologies. Your battle is against Satan and demons who undermines all sorts of stuff. And we're called to show love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, all those things in every context of life. But what I find is we get so wrapped up in the politics of our world, we make it us versus them, and that is not the stuff of Jesus. We're more frustrated at disbelieving people, lost people, or people that don't agree with us than we are prayerful for them and loving toward them and thinking of them and trying to befriend them and build bridges to them. Instead, we make it a sport how we can be snarky about them or undermine them or find find a funny meme against them. And I'm just telling you, as one that has been oftentimes disliked uh, by people for what I say, it's very hard to pivot and think you have my best interest at heart when you're telling me I'm a terrible person, right? Like that's just going to be true, which is why I'm always concerned about how we leverage even our voice as conservative evangelicals within the context of our world. Like, Like what are we known for? Like if you've got people in your life that are not evangelical Christians, just go quiz them. Say, hey, like what's our PR status? Like how, how do you understand us? How do other people that maybe don't think like I think, how do they see us? And would things like love or gracious or compassionate or kind or thoughtful or uh, intentional in a positive way, like would those be the descriptors that are used? See, I'm sharing this because, again, I want us to understand this is kind of what makes this podcast tick. This is the stuff that literally keeps me awake at night, wakes me up in the morning, haunts me throughout the day, causes me to grab my iPhone and say, hey, Siri, take a note. And I take a note. And I'm constantly writing these things down and thinking about these things because this is the stuff that really does matter in the end. This is the stuff that counts. Now. With all of that said, let me see if I can bring a little bit more uh, clarification as to why it seems that people go like, Matt, you're liberal. And I go, it's really kind of funny because I have people in my life that are liberal and they think I'm too conservative. And then I have people in my life that are conservative and they think I'm really liberal. And I always kind of laugh about that because I'm always kind of like on the quiz. I'm like none of the above. Like I, I just, I'm none of the above in that sense because my mission is not to be liberal or conservative. My mission is to be like Jesus. But, but here's why I think sometimes there's this feeling like, Hey, Matt's kind of liberal. And it's because I live in a conservative evangelical camp. So let me kind of give a juxtaposition here. If I was an Episcopalian, and uh, I was in a super liberal camp, but I had the same ideology, uh, I would be confronting that group about how it's, you know, like super uh, 
woke at the cost of any kind of forgiveness that they cancel without any grace, uh, you know, that they have their own problems as far as judging the right for being rednecks, gun loving, not thinking, unsophisticated, you know, the list trailer trash, what, you know, all the things that, that if you're on the right, you think the left thinks of you. I would be confronting that if I was authentically in a religious liberal context, right? Because he'd be like, that's not the stuff of Jesus. Jesus would say, no, you, you, you love people that are different than you. You don't call them names. You don't see them as imbeciles or idiots or people that are clutching to their weapons because of fear and all of the stereotypes that could go on. I would confront it over there. If I was in that space, that space would be accusing me of being conservative. Pretty much every podcast. If I was doing a podcast in that space. But I am in a conservative evangelical space. And from a political perspective, I forget exactly the exact numbers, but basically, by and large, evangelical Christianity, it votes conservative, it votes Republican, it votes those ideas. And in that, because I'm in that space and I'm supposed to be, quote, a prophet, not the crystal ball kind, just somebody who speaks truth into those spaces, and I'm supposed to be bringing Jesus to those spaces, oftentimes Jesus conflicts with conservative political ideas, ideas and ideology, not always on everything, but on some things very much that's the case. And so what I'm trying to do there constantly is be like, hey, I'm going to push, I'm going to prod, I'm, I'm going to poke at those things because I think Jesus speaks into those things. I think Jesus speaks into the attitudes that we sometimes have about government. I think Jesus speaks into the attitudes we sometimes have about, uh, you know, refugees or the poor or uh, the, the disenfranchised. I mean, Jesus speaks into those things. Jesus dealt with race issues and Jesus dealt with sexuality issues and Jesus dealt with taxation issues. In the New Testament, it dealt with government issues and how one should relate to government and how one should respect and see government and submit to all the things we talk about in this podcast. Like the Bible speaks to those things and it speaks to those things in such a way that frankly, it's irritating. It's super irritating, right? But But we don't want to run from that. I mean, if we're going to take the Bible seriously and we're going to say the Bible wins over all other issues and Jesus wins over all other issues, then in speaking to those things, it's going to irritate. It's going to frustrate. It's going to flatly piss you off sometimes because it pisses me off too. If there's anything I'd love to do is to rant. I wish I could just rant all the time about what I see in culture and what I see in people and what I see in Hollywood and what I see in the media and what I see on the left and what I see on the right. I wish I could just rant to my heart's content. But you know what? That would just be sin. I don't want to rant to my heart's content. I want to see us be more like Jesus. So if I need to say things into spaces where I think we're blinded or we have idolatry, then that's what I need to do. And so even all throughout this last year, as we were dealing with things in the podcast, you know, whether it was, you know, uh, issues with the, the political space or the Black Lives Matter space or the COVID space, I know there was people on both sides of what I was saying. Like some were like, that's right, go preach it. And other people were like, you're just really making me more and more frustrated all the time. My goal was never to try to make one group mad and another group happy. My goal was to make Jesus happy and confront whatever our things are. And to continue to do that faithfully as much as possible. And I know in doing that, if there's anything I've learned about um, God versus idols throughout the Bible, it's that when God speaks toward our idols, our idols want to fight back. And sometimes the idols are the idols of our heart, right? Where we're angry at another group or we're mad at a certain policy or whatever else. And so when Jesus says, hey, suffer well, we go, I don't want to suffer well. I want to stand up and fight. I want to call people names and say this is whatever it is, you know, it's reckless or it's tyranny or, you know, depending on which side you're on, right? Uh, And Jesus is like, or you take joy and you take courage and you show a better way and you're a peacemaker in the process. You just go through the Beatitudes and like do that stuff. That would be far superior, right? Like that is again what I care about. So I'm sharing all of this, again, to give a sense of structure to what the agenda is in the podcast. It's actually not to be political, but to speak to political things 
in the spirit of Jesus. It's not really to be cultural, but to speak to cultural things in the spirit of Jesus. It's not to be legal, but to speak to legal things in the spirit of Jesus and get back to this idea, this conviction and belief that the thing that's going to change our society is not going to be that we get the right people in place to put in the right policies to ensure Christian religious liberties. Because if anything, I'm concerned that the more we try to fight for liberties in the space of religion, we actually undermine the kingdom and Jesus because we're busy fighting for a thing as opposed to living a thing out. Like that's the game changer. I really believe if people saw us being just like Jesus, they would be compelled by that. I mean, Jesus was utterly compelling. The only people that were ever like seriously pissed at Jesus were religious people. They were the ones that were really mad. Even the dudes that crucified Jesus, like Pilate and Herod and those dudes, they were not nearly as angry at Jesus as religion was, as Bible-believing, Old Testament-adhering religion. It's the one, they were the ones that didn't like Jesus. Even just the secular, weird, paganistic world, it's like, oh, it's a political problem. How we deal with it? These guys are mad. Let's just kill them, be done with it, right? And then they move on. And so all the more, what I realize is that the great challenge that, the message of Jesus has in our culture is not the disbelieving kind of, uh, you know, whatever it is, relativistic, pluralistic, hedonistic, pagans, whatever, attacking the church. It's just the church not living like Jesus, kind of earning its own licks and wounds. And then from that, everything else gets undermined. That's the stuff that keeps me up at night. That's the stuff I take a lot of notes on. That's the stuff I continue to ponder out. And so I think it's urgent. And I think it's urgent for what I said at the very beginning of the podcast, which is when you look at those churches in the book of Revelation, Jesus's warning is simple. When you don't look like me and sound like me and focus like me and display me, then I'm really not with you anyway. Why would you want me to stick around, right? I'm just a poster child to your program, but, but I'm not really the person that's leading the way you live. And I think that is something that we as conservative evangelicals need to honestly look at ourselves in the mirror regarding because I'm not certain the world would look and say, ah, I see Jesus in you. And then we excuse that. And I I talked about this a little bit last week. We put these bumper stickers on our cars. We make these statements like, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Or, hey, don't judge Christ by us Christians. Why shouldn't they? Like, honestly, I've been thinking about this more. I think that's the biggest cop out. I really do. Like, maybe this is where I'm going profit for a second, but I think that's a cop-out to be like, hey, don't judge me or don't judge Christ by how I do my life. No, they should absolutely judge Christ by how we live our life. That should get us to pony up and do the right thing and get over our own entitlement and pride and to be more like Jesus, right? To desperately pray, to fast, to repent, to scour his word and go, what is it that you want me to do that I don't want to do? I'll put that on the top of the list when I put my list on the fridge of the stuff that I'm going to prioritize for my week, right? Like that's where it's going to come down to. Now, I want to be clear. I feel like right now my tone, I'm like, is it angry? Is it passionate? Is it excited? Is it grievous? Is it repentant? Yes, I think it's all of the above. I really do. But it's because I just feel so much weight on this one anymore so much weight. I think we're just spilling so much ink and wasting so much oxygen and blowing so much testimony and opportunity because we're picking all sorts of strange battles and we're caring more about our nationalistic identity than we are about our eternal kingdom responsibility. And that's the stuff that I think we need to repent of. That's the stuff that needs to stop. Now in that, does that mean that you're not to be a part of politics and you're not to be patriotic and you're not to love the constitution and the bill of rights? It does not mean any of that. It doesn't mean you have to let go of that. Like I said, I fly a flag. I like the the constitution. I dig our country, but boy, I never want to let those things for a second, for a second, get in the way of people seeing Jesus in a clear and beautiful way. I never want my way of life to be more important to me than the way of Christ's kingdom and gospel ever for a second. And I authentically and sincerely believe that the biggest thing facing us as conservative evangelicals is that we don't look a whole lot like Jesus. Just point blank, that's my concern. But you know what? It's not just my concern. That's the concern of a lot of people. 
I have friends in my life that have left evangelicalism, but they continue to kind of be supportive of what I'm trying to do, even in this podcast, because they're like, I want something better for the heritage that I left because I left the heritage because I didn't see Jesus in that heritage. I heard them talk about him, but I didn't see him. And I go, how sad, because if anybody should see Jesus in us, it's those of us who look at the Bible with such tenderness and conviction and, and sense of like urgency to making sure we protect it. Like then Jesus should be most clearly displayed in us. It's interesting yesterday, uh, or maybe it was this morning. No, it was yesterday. Um, there was a article released by the gospel coalition and I thought, man, I just got to bring this up in the podcast, maybe to close it out because I think it articulates so well, even the burden that I feel in all of this and why I think clarity is so critical in all of this. And the title of it was five things that frustrate Gen Z Christians. And I read this and I go, no way I'm 50 years old. But I'm Gen Z. All right, that feels so awesome. Now, some of you are like, oh man, why does Matt want to claim any part of Gen Z? Um, Well, because actually I think Gen Z is the generation that has risen up and said, you know what? Evangelicals are not doing what they say. They are not living what they claim to believe. They are not modeling the stuff of Jesus, right? So in this article, it's really interesting. The five things that frustrate Gen Z Christians. Uh, The first thing, and I won't read the whole article, but the first thing is when partisan politics reshapes faith. So these people that are like 26 years of age and below are looking at their evangelical forefathers and they're saying, you guys look way more like the Republican party, or you look way more, forget even Republicans, you just look way more like conservative politics in the name of Jesus, then you look like Jesus. And so they're looking and saying, we don't know where our future is because if it's, if it's an evangelicalism, but evangelicalism looks more political than it does kingdom. How do we stay in that? More importantly, how does Jesus stay in that? See, that's why I bring up the revelation two and three. Jesus says, I'll eject, like not saying you're not saved, not saying you're not going to heaven, but I'm just not going to bless that right? I'm going to let you guys all pilot the ship and, and take, take you wherever you think you want to go, but I'm not going with you on that. And I'm just going to let it just do what it does, which you read throughout the entire Bible. And you see when God's people get away from God, he's still with them in covenant, but he lets them just crash and burn. And from that come out of the ashes in a very different context, right? And I think that's exactly what the warning can be. When we sound more like our political posturing than we do like Jesus, that's a warning. And so these young Gen Z Christians are like, man, when you guys have your partisan politics reshaping your faith, when you're more concerned that you sound a certain way instead of sound like Jesus or look like him, that's problematic. I say amen to this. I agree. That is a problem, right? Second, when apologetics outweighs relationship. Now, apologetics is an important thing, right? The ability to accurately articulate kind of our faith and the hope that we have, right? But when you go back to 1 Peter chapter 3 and you read about it, there's this tone in there. There's this gracious, understanding, gentle tone in articulating our faith. Instead of demanding that our faith be protected, that our rights be protected, and that we're allowed to do what we want to do with our worship, instead we should be compelling more than demanding. We should not be entitled, but rather we should be displaying. Like that's the stuff. And so this is where, again, relationship needs to be more important to us, especially relationship with people who don't like see or think or believe like us. This is why, again, I think we're undermining ourselves when we get on social media and we make positions or we get behind people and make snarky statements about people on the other side or disbelieving people or people of other kind of traditions. Like we're just, we're, we're completely undermining our ability to be missionaries when we stand more outwardly in opposition as opposed to trying to subversively come alongside and befriend and from that see relationship and maybe from that faith established in those relationships. So again, I agree. Apologetics has become a weapon more than it's become an invitation. And this is what needs to change. The third thing Gen Z Christians are struggling with as they look at all of us that are older is when Christians don't live what they believe, right? When Christians don't live what they believe. So we'll sit there and we'll talk about our Bible, right? Mine's right over there. And we'll say, this is the truth of God, right? And we need to get back to the Bible, And I go, amen. I would love to see us as conservative evangelical Christians get back to the Bible. 
I would love to see us get back to saying, whatever the way of Jesus is, that's the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to live the truth in my own life, and I'm going to express grace to those who are yet to know Jesus, right? I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to actually tell the world, I dare you to look at my life to see Jesus clearly. I dare you to look at my life and see what it means to love your neighbor clearly. I dare you to look at my life and see what it means to love my enemy genuinely. See, I would love that. See, I think what's going on both with younger people and with outsiders is they're looking and they're going, Christians don't seem to live what they believe. Now, again, I'm not trying to make a blatant statement of every Christian, but I'm saying by and large, I'm talking in stereotypes here. I'm talking in kind of swaths here, but by and large, they go, there seems to be something inconsistent, inconsistent. And I think we're too willing to let ourselves off the hook sometime with that. And I don't think we should. I think we should double down and say, oh, all the more it's important that I actually live what I believe and I believe what I live, right? So that was the third thing. Fourth, when Christians are no more, are, the fourth thing that, that bothers them is when Christians are known more for judgment than for love. When Christians are known more for judgment than for love. I think sometimes we feel this need to be the moral arbiters of society. We need to be the referees that point out the moral flaws and failures and sexual dysfunctions and the list goes on and on and on. And yet actually what made Jesus so amazing is he was a friend of sinners. He was a friend of tax collectors. He was a friend of people that the religious establishment looked at as being those you should disenfranchise and excommunicate and punt away. And and yet Jesus was authentically their friend. They would have said, Jesus is my buddy. Jesus really likes me. Jesus is actually wanting to hang out with me. Like there was this completely different thing. And I, I can't help but think how important that is for us today to reconnect with, right? Instead of flinching at all the things we see in our world that we disagree with, Instead, that we would be praying for, coming alongside, investing into, caring about the very people that Jesus would spend time with and care about. Now, I know that people always want to say, yeah, but Jesus would say, go and sin no more. Well, Jesus said that to us too. And we we still have all kinds of problems. I mean, if there's anybody that should understand, go and sin no more, yet I stand totally by the grace of God, it's us. We should be the most humble in all those things too. And I think when we embody that, man, that's attractive to people. Then we feel safe for other people. See, that's why I think Jesus was so successful with so many people. They felt safe with him. I think the only people that never felt safe with Jesus were the ones that thought they were better than everybody else in society. And rightly, they shouldn't feel safe with him because he's taking an issue with them. And that's always what's going to concern me as well. And then number five, they said, when Christians aren't serious thinkers, now, this is a trickier one because right now, if there's any debate that goes on within our society, it's follow the science and who knows the science and follow the facts. Who knows the facts and where is truth and truth is on the left and truth is on the right. And man, like the X-Files, the truth is out there somewhere, right? I don't even know half the time where to find truth anymore. But there is a sense in which we don't carry ourselves in such a way that maybe we're critical thinkers. Now, of these points, I actually agree with number five. It concerns me as well. Not as much as the previous four. Because I don't know if what we really need is to be more critical thinkers across the board. It's nice if you're built for that. If you're not built for that, it's not that critical. Because what's more critical are the other four things. And what's more critical, frankly, is thinking like Jesus. More than being a critical thinker, it's just thinking like Jesus, right? How he saw the world, how he prioritized doing everything because it was the Father's will. He did nothing apart from what the Father willed for him to do. And he left us an example that we would do likewise. You see this in First Peter, right? He left us the example, his life, his suffering, his teaching, his focus, his tenor and tone, temperament, all of that. He left that for us. And so I, I just want you to know, I, I want to be clear When it comes to the mission of this podcast, it will continue to be what it is I've sought to do. And so there's going to be times where I am positive. I'm going to say things that speak into our politics, into our culture, into our laws, into our dispositions, into our entertainment, into our our proclivities. And in particular in that, I'm speaking to those things that are inside conservative evangelicalism that I think are undermining our mission. And so I will continue to do that. 
but please understand what my heart is in that. It's not authentically trying to tick anybody off. It's not authentically trying to get under anybody's skin. It's not taking any joy and bringing frustration. I promise it isn't. It doesn't. I don't take those things. Oftentimes, I'll finish a podcast where I've talked about a topic, and there's one part of me that's like, man, I'm just, I'm bracing that I know I'm going to rub some people I care about wrong. And yet I'm compelled by Christ that those things I actually think are getting in the way of Jesus and the gospel and, and, and I, and I really do think like Jesus is just like, he's got a hand on the, on the candle stand, right? He's like, I'm, I'm going to pull it. I'm just going to pull it because this is not me. This does not represent me. This is American Christianity. This is not biblical Christ following. And that's why I speak to those things as I do. That's why I try to bring this tone of the prophetic, if you will, this tone of saying, Hey, we need to get better and we can get better, but we've got to stare our problems in the face. We've got to stare our idols in the face. We have to stare our selfishness in the face. We have to stare our fears in the face. And frankly, we have to stare our lack of love sometimes in the face if we're going to do it right. And yet I believe if we're willing to do that, if we're honest with ourselves as far as what our own priorities are, if we're honest about the fact that we want the American dream more than we want the kingdom vision, or we want our own comforts, and we want our own money, and we want our own rights, and we want our own freedoms, and we want our own permissions, and we want our own identity, and and if we're not willing to look at all those things and say, wait, all of that should be subservient to Christ, and Christ should transform all of that, if we're not willing to do that, I think Jesus just says, I'm just going to pull the lampstand, man. I'm going to Africa. Like those guys get, I'm going to China. The underground church gets it, man. I'm I'm going to the 1040 window of the Muslim underground churches because they get it. Like he'll just be like, yeah, I'll just let the American church do its thing because it's already decided it cares more about it's in this world life more than the life that I offer through the gospel. Like that is always going to be my concern. And so I'll continue to speak these things. But again, it's not like I take great joy in saying those things. In fact, if anything, there was oftentimes grief in the midst of saying those things. But there's also grief in the reality that those things need to be said because we have some growing to do. And yet I believe if we do the growing, I believe if we lean into the life of Christ, I believe if we actually take seriously this idea that says, I am called to be a servant. I'm called to lay myself down for others because no greater love does a person have than this. They lay themselves down for their friend. That doesn't always have to be physical death. Sometimes it just means priority, identity, agenda, comfort, ease, you know, pick your thing. Like that's what we lay down. And I believe if we as conservative evangelicals can get to that place where the Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus that's seen in our lives and the world around us can see that Jesus in our lives, that is where revival will take place. That is where transformation will happen. And the very thing you want to see in American society will actually take place. Real, authentic change. I think about it in the book of James chapter 3 where he talks about... um, The seeds of righteousness are sown by those who make peace. He says that's a that's a kingdom wisdom, that's a heavenly wisdom that comes from above. If if we want to see true righteousness flourish in our land, it's not going to be because we voted in, we legislate it, or we guilt people into it. It's going to be because we embody Jesus in such a way that it brings authentic flourishing to lives. We need to outlove the world. We need to outlast the world. We need to outforgive the world. We have to outcare the world. We have to out kind of, uh, I don't know, be selfless in comparison to the world. We have to master those things because they're important to Christ and they're important to us. And if we do that, I really do believe we will be effective everyday missionaries.